0: The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit WOGCC.com. Before we go into this word, why don't we just go before the Lord in an order of prayer together? Would you bow with me? Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word with your people. God, we don't take that lightly that we get to gather here so freely. We don't take it lightly that we get to be here together as a church family, as people who celebrate and sing about the powerful, wonderful name of Jesus together. Father, we open your word today, God, humbly and hungry for truth that will set us free, hungry for something to impact us or to be imparted to us through your word and your Holy Spirit that will cause a change in the way we think, in the way that we act and react, the way we treat our spouse the way that we live for you, Father. And I pray that we'll be challenged in such a way that it'll cause us to step, Father, into action and not just be hearers of the Word only. And I thank you for heart change today, God, at the very core. I thank you that your gospel will be proclaimed, Father, and I pray that it will be easily heard and understood and received. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. As you're turning to Proverbs 18, I want to give you just a little bit of background on Proverbs because we don't really talk about that very often. The book of Proverbs is actually divided into seven sections. The section where chapter 18 that we're going to be reading from here in just a moment, where that falls is actually section 2, if you were to look at it in the seven divisions of the book of Proverbs. And it was authored by King Solomon. You know King Solomon, right? You remember him? The wisest man that ever lived? Also, the man who had 700 wives, not sure how that balances out. (laughs) But the words in the second division that we're about to read can uh, be read from chapter 10, verse 1, all the way to chapter 22, verse 16. So if you were ever looking to contextualize that, because so many people view the book of Proverbs as something that they read as like a fortune cookie, you know. People read Proverbs like they would just pour, pull the little slip out of the fortune cookie, except there's no lucky lotto numbers on the back. There's just these little sayings, these little words that are encouraging, that are comforting, but they seem kind of scattered and they seem random. Well, I want to tell you that these guys weren't being schizophrenic and they weren't being uh, thoughtless in the writings that they were writing. They were actually writing something in a Hebrew style of writing that they still use today in Jerusalem that is called pearls of wisdom on a string. And basically, these little. Thoughts; These little sayings are like little pearls of wisdom. And if you put them on a string, they start one place, but they always kind of circle around. And then you go, ah, that makes sense. It helps you to contextualize it. So that way it's not just this randomness that maybe it would at face value appear to be. But there's actually a lot of thought and continuity to the Proverbs because that's the style of writing that Solomon wrote these in. So as you read it, if you want to contextualize Proverbs and you want to go do your own personal study... Start in chapter 10 at verse 1, and then go all the way to chapter 22 and verse 16, and you'll begin to see some themes. You'll begin to see some patterns. You'll begin to see this idea of pearls of wisdom on a string, and it'll help you to grow in your faith, and it'll help you to better contextualize The book of Proverbs and help you to understand exactly the style of writing instead of looking at it as popcorn wisdom or some type of, you know, fortune cookie type thing. So make sure that as we look at that, we always look at scripture in context. So I want to help you do that a little bit by looking at Proverbs chapter 18. Let's read the first two verses and then we'll skip over and uh, read another piece so you can see how this kind of works together. Proverbs 18 and verse 1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinions. Now skip over to 18, verse 20. Let's look at verse 20, same chapter. "'From the fruit of a man's mouth his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits.'" He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The poor uses entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, if we look in the context of the proverb, Solomon is communicating... First and foremost, we see about the need for accountability and the power of your words because we were created for connection. One of the first things we read was that if you isolate yourself, you're seeking your own desire. You're being foolish. We weren't created to be alone. We weren't created for isolation. We weren't created to be disconnected. We need one another. The very first thing that God ever said that we have recorded that wasn't good was that man was alone. Everything else up until that point had been deemed good by God. He said, uh, I'm going to create the heavens and the earth. It's good. I'm going to create the the waters. I'm going to create the moon, the sun. All these things are good. And then all of a sudden God looks at His creation and says, this is not good. That man should be alone. God created us for connection. And when you're isolated, man, you put yourself in a dangerous spot. And people that like to isolate themselves, they feel like that they don't really need accountability. They don't need connection. They feel like they're sufficient in and of themselves. And we can get that way in our marriage. We can get that way at our job. We can get that way just in life in general to where we feel like we're smarter than everyone else or we don't need other people. I can just do this on my own. That's why church connection is so important. That's why being a part of the body is so important because we need connection with one another. And God created us for connection because connection creates accountability. Man, people who refuse to connect are foolish because they refuse to be accountable to other people. And they think that they're smarter. They think they could do it better. They get haughty. They get prideful. They get disconnected. And they miss the accountability and the connection and the growth that they were created for. Now, as we looked at this section of Scripture, we skipped over to a later part of Proverbs 18 where Solomon writes, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Why on earth would this be in the same kind of stream of thought? Because he who finds a wife finds accountability at the most intimate level he will ever find in a human exchange or in this human experience. Your marriage, your spouse is your highest level of human accountability that you and I will ever experience because they know you. Like you can try to fool everybody else. You can try to put on a certain face for certain people. But when you go home and your doors close or when you get in that car, maybe you don't even make it home. Maybe you just get to the car and maybe the door doesn't even close. All of a sudden, who you really are begins to kind of poke through a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, we kind of see, see how we began to let our hair down. It's a challenge for some people. But we still let our hair down, especially with our spouse. But man, marriage and, and is, is this tool that God has given us to help to illustrate the type of communion and love and accountability that He wants to have between us and Him. This covenant relationship, this communion, this most deepest intimate level of connection that we can know between another person. I've always said this, that marriage is the greatest tool that God has ever given for sanctification on the planet. As we are growing in our walk with Christ, as we are trying to be more Christ-like, and we're trying to be uh, growing in this arena of sanctification, beginning to lay aside the old things that so easily beset us and walk into the newness of life that Christ has given us, man, marriage is one of the greatest tools to help us do that because it reveals things about us. And then when you have kids, that reveals a little bit more, doesn't it? It kind of exposes your selfishness. It exposes how selfish at our core that we can be. And it shows us ugliness in us that we would rather not talk about or would rather not be there. But there's nothing other than just dealing with it and seeing it and it being right in front of you than through being married and through having children. It exposes our hearts. You see, this is not to put us down. This is not to hurt us. This is not to humiliate us or shame us. It's to help us grow. Too many people run away from accountability or they run away from hard things Because they view it negatively instead of viewing difficulties or challenges as opportunities to grow when someone says something to you that you don't like or someone exposes something to you that you'd rather not talk about or whether something in your marriage shows you something about yourself that you would rather blame shift and put off on the other person instead of own yourself. It's not to hurt you. It's not to shame you. It's not to cause you to stumble. It's to cause you to grow. Because you need to see those weak areas. Just imagine if you were building a home and you're constructing it and there was weak foundation or there was some type of weak construction points, but because the contractors didn't want to hurt your feelings, they didn't want to share it with you. And you find out later on down the road that there was faulty construction because they didn't want to hurt your feelings or they didn't want you to stop the construction or they wanted to try to save a few bucks. Well, it's the same thing when things in our life are exposed when we see those things instead of hiding them Why not address them? Why not learn how to grow from them instead of one day down the road? All of a sudden we're dealing with all these problems that we could have easily remedied on the front end If we would have acknowledged them embraced them instead of allowing them to be a tool of shame We allow them to be a tool of growth It's a completely different way of viewing challenges. So many people just want out of the pressure they went out of the pressure cooker. I don't like the way this feels. This is uncomfortable, so I'm going to move. Or I'll change jobs. I don't like the way this feels. And then you, go to the same, then you go to a different job, and all of a sudden you begin to experience some of the same things. People do that in marriages. I don't like the way this feels. I'll just go to a different person. And then they begin to experience some of the same challenges over and over again. And it must be everyone else, Right? That's what we often think. But those challenges aren't meant to destroy you. Those challenges aren't meant to embarrass you or hurt you. Those challenges are meant to help you if you'll stop and see them for what they are and allow God to help you to grow through those things. But our spouse is to help us to grow. I wouldn't be the man that I am today without my wife. Amen, somebody. Over there in the back. Amen. You see... Our relationship with our spouse is one that's grounded in trust, and we don't always like it when our spouses call us on things. We don't always like it when they expose things to us. We don't always want to deal with those things. I know I don't. I I don't enjoy dealing with those things sometimes. But if I stop and I know that at her core she loves me and she wants to help me to grow, then I can see the things that she's seeing in me that perhaps I don't see or the patterns that I am not identifying that she can actually help me to grow in godliness and sanctification. And the same thing with me in her. Our relationship with our spouse has to be grounded in trust. It has to be a deep trust between friends between covenant partners. Look back over at Proverbs 18 and verse 24. It says a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now the King James would translate that and say, he who desires friends must first show himself friendly, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see here the duality of the use of the word friend or companion. And it's actually two different Hebrew words that were used here, which is why in the English standard that it translates this into companions and then the other one friends if you have the King James or New King James you see friends twice And the reason that you have that word there uh, is is because when the King James translated it, they just thought that friends would be the appropriate word. to where the English standard wants to take out that first word and say companion, because they're two different words. Even though you may see the similarities there, it's two different Hebrew words. The first word is reah. And it means like your neighbor, your buddy, your pal, hanging out. This person who just surrounds himself with friends all of the time, you know, this person who's wanting to be friendly, this person who's just a neighborly person. But then it says there is another friend who sticks closer than a brother. The first word used is rea. The second word is a Hebrew word, aheb, that is used for friendship. The word aheb is literally translated as covenant partner. All right? So it's a different kind of friendship. You just see friend in the English, but it literally means Covenant partner. It's the same word that God used when he called Abraham a friend. When it was said of Abraham that he was a friend of God. It wasn't that he was God's buddy. It wasn't that he was God's pal and they were chummy. It was that he was God's covenant partner. He had made covenant, deep, intimate relationship with God and got to this deep level of trust where they had these conditional promises that were made and then unconditional promises as well in the covenant that God made between Abraham. So when you see here there's a friend there's an aheb that sticks closer than a brother. And we know that our aheb relationship, our covenant relationship is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And we also see how the deepest level of human trust and interaction and covenant partner that we have between one other person would be that relationship of our spouse we are covenant partners we are to be connected deep trust level between us and our covenant connection partner because friendship requires trust but trust requires faithfulness you can't just demand trust it has to be earned you have to be faithful because so many people in our day and age want to demand trust they want it to just happen overnight But it's something that is earned. It requires faithfulness. So friendship requires trust, and trust requires faithfulness. In Hebrews 13 and 5, God says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So what he's basically saying here is that the connection I have with you is the most important connection, and I won't leave. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I am committed to you. And as he is faithful so should we be faithful to those that trust us. Because God is showing us His enduring love and His faithfulness to us. And we see how even though we can be pretty rotten, we see how even though we can actually just spit in the face of God, we can walk away from Him, we can try to run away from Him, we can try to live our lives our own way, we see that He's still faithful and that He still welcomes that prodigal coming back into His arms. We see that message illustrated all throughout Scripture because he's so faithful. And that's the type of faithfulness that you and I are called to model in our relationship with our spouse. And it takes that deep, aheb level of friendship, that connection and that faithfulness to earn and build that trust. I always explain relational context to people like this. I look at it as if you would look at uh, a bank account. I want to make sure that I am investing and being positive in my investment in my relationship because guess what? There will be times where I will do things that will make a withdrawal on that relationship. Sometimes it's things that I know, like maybe if it's a relationship with uh, one of my employees, that if I have to correct them or I have to have a difficult conversation with them, I want to make sure that I've invested enough positive coin that when I begin to have the hard conversation or make the withdrawal, that it doesn't damage the relationship. Because if I keep withdrawing and I keep doing these things where I'm making withdrawals, if I keep breaking promises, if I keep uh, uh, making things difficult and making the home difficult or life difficult or the marriage difficult all of a sudden i'm withdrawing 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 and then all of a sudden i get in the red and now i'm in trouble and it's the same thing with our trust we have to invest in trust because there will be withdrawals that we will make because we will make mistakes guaranteed all right you will make mistakes but you have to make sure that you're not doing so many things that's withdrawing from the relationship that it's damaging your connection with one another. So you want to make sure that you're investing positive, healthy things in that relationship, that you're building and investing in trust, in friendship, in connection, that you're being faithful. Now, when we say everybody makes mistakes, don't take that as a cop-out that, oh, well, I'm just going to blow it, so I might as well go ahead and blow it. No. We strive to love and serve our spouses with excellence. Amen? We want to grow in this. This is why we're sitting here listening to this teaching today. That's why hopefully we're not just hearers of the word, but we actually try to figure out what strategies we need to implement in our marriage to invest more in trust and building trust. Because you're always deepening trust. You're always building trust. And the more you trust each other, really, the more you love each other. But it requires you being faithful. It requires you investing good things into the relationship with your spouse. Faithfulness and trust and friendship go beyond just liking the same things. It goes beyond just enjoying watching movies together or just enjoying some of the same hobbies. We need to learn to respect and appreciate the differences in our spouse, not just accept and appreciate the ways where we are similar oftentimes when i'll do marriage counseling i'll hear a couple say something like we're just not interested in the same things anymore we used to be interested in the same things but now we've kind of grown apart and we don't like to do the same things anymore and they feel like that's a basis or a grounds for this disconnection for them to just abandon the marriage and that's not at all uh what god would want us to do it's not the goal of your marriage for you all to like the same things. Your husband or your wife may be really excited about the Packer game, and the other spouse may not be as excited. Maybe their team lost. Maybe they don't have a team. <laughs> maybe, maybe they think that the team with the most home runs wins. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. You don't have to like the same things in order to have a connection. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? So many people get discouraged in their marriage when they see that they don't have commonality with liking some of the same things. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't love each other and serve one another in those areas to where perhaps even if it's an area that you don't really care for as a spouse, you still engage your spouse in those areas because you're loving them. And because you love them, you want to be a part of what they're a part of. Maybe not all the time, but you still graciously and lovingly participate with them in things that maybe aren't your thing. But because you love them, you do it. Just like guys, you may not enjoy shopping, but you do it. How do I look in this dress? Wonderful. Should I buy these shoes or those shoes? Both. They look incredible. I want to go in another store. Do you want to go in another store? Sure. I don't want to go in another store. Uh, but there may be things that I want to do that my wife is not particularly excited about or whatever the case may be. The point is, is that you serve your spouse by engaging them in the areas where they're interested in and that you want to enjoy those things with them and vice versa. They enjoy those things with you. But that doesn't mean that just because we're different and we may not have the same interests, it doesn't mean that we're a bad match. All right? It doesn't mean that we're a bad fit. Actually, we have to embrace one another's differences because check this out. Embracing one another's differences is so key and so important because it's the very thing that the enemy tried to use in the Garden of Eden because when sin enters into a relationship, we reject each other's differences. When there's sin in the relationship, we reject each other's differences. you remember the Garden of Eden? you remember Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden? Guess what? They were naked and unashamed. That's what the Bible says. They were naked and unashamed in the Garden of Eden. But then all of a sudden, here comes the serpent... The serpent tempts Eve, and Adam's there with her. They both partake of the fruit, and then all of a sudden, now their eyes are opened, and then they became naked and ashamed. So what did they go and do? What did they go and do? They went and sewed together for themselves fig leaves to hide their nakedness. But what parts of their nakedness did they hide? The parts where they were different. They didn't cover their noses, because they both had noses. They didn't cover their ears. They both had ears. They didn't cover their feet. They both had feet. They covered the areas where they were different. Because sin will drive us to actually be ashamed of our differences or be disconnected because of our differences. You see, when they sin, Adam and Eve only covered their differences. And the enemy wants to use our differences in our marriage to divide us rather than appreciate one another's differences. The enemy would love to expose those things in such a way that it causes a disconnect between you and your spouse. The enemy would love to accentuate the differences between you and your spouse in a way that it would cause you to both be angry towards one another or bitter towards one another. And that it would drive a wedge in your marriage. Instead of letting those things drive a wedge, we need to learn to appreciate the differences between us and our spouse. That we can actually say, I'm glad my wife is good at some things that I'm not good at. And she's glad that I'm good at some things that she's not good at. And we can like different things. We can be good at different things. We can have different strengths. We can have different weaknesses. But we want to complement one another and we want to embrace one another's differences instead of allowing those things to cause us to be disconnected and bitter and angry towards one another. Because we have to guard our heart towards our spouse. Because the enemy would love to come in and drive a wedge. We have to guard our attitude towards our spouse. Amen, somebody? I mean, we have to guard this thing because there's always the temptation to get bitter and angry towards your spouse or to get resentful towards your spouse, especially as the differences are being exposed. And maybe this is even more challenging for some of you who are married to someone that perhaps isn't a Christian. That those are the very things that would cause some of the most division in your marriage. And instead of you giving up on that person, I would encourage you to still pray for them, be faithful to them, love them, show them the love of Christ, show them what it looks like, and not just abandon them just because there's a major difference in that marriage because you're married. And you need to love them and show them the love of Christ. Perhaps God could use the love of God working in your heart to help to rescue them from eternal damnation. Perhaps God could use you and the way you treat them as a way to soften even the hardest of hearts. Just want to encourage you in that. If you're struggling in your marriage, and perhaps there is some stark division in your marriage, you need to look at, am I rejecting my spouse's differences? Or what are the good things that I could look at and appreciate about my spouse? I would encourage you to maybe even You and your spouse make a challenge to write those things down about one another that's different than you, but that you appreciate about them. And think about those things and allow your attitude and your heart to be guarded towards your spouse because if you open the door up in your marriage for you to begin to share things that are going to do damage or things that are going to be negative about your differences, you're going to just drive you and your spouse further apart. So we have to guard our heart and our attitudes towards our spouse because we need to remember that our spouse is a gift. You remember Solomon. He said, he who finds a wife finds what kind of thing? A good thing. Our spouse is a gift. Our spouse is a precious gift. And our heart and attitudes will make us say really great things or really mean things to our spouse. And it's really a checkup in our own heart because the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks, right? Right? And here in the same context, Solomon says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it are going to eat the fruit of it. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. If you want life in your marriage, you have to speak life to your spouse. You have to speak life in your marriage. Because our heart and attitude is either going to make us say really great things or really negative things. Because it's out of the abundance of what's in our heart. Our mouth is going to speak. So stop blaming your spouse for everything that's wrong in your marriage. Stop blaming your spouse for everything that's wrong in your household. And start speaking life. And listen, I want you to hear me real clear this morning. We need to speak life to our spouse when they're present and when they are not. There's a saying in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey that he says, Be loyal to the absent. You need to always be loyal to those that are absent. So that means when you're at work and you want to get in the gossip about your spouse, or when you're with those friends that want to have a spouse-bashing session, man, you need to guard those relationships. Is that something you need to be connected into? Is that something that you need to be feeding off of? Is that something you need to engage in and be a part of, even if you're really miffed at your spouse at the moment? Or is it something that, We need to guard our heart and recognize this is not healthy. This is not productive. I need to be thinking about good things and remind myself that my wife is a gift or my spouse is a gift. I need to remind myself of, even though there may be differences, that I need to appreciate those things and embrace those things. I need to remind myself that I need my spouse for connection and accountability. And I need to invest trust and be faithful to my spouse. And guard my heart and my attitude and not allow myself to get caught up in a bunch of negativity because that's not going to be healthy down the road. It always starts really small, doesn't it? No one ever starts just in a full-blown bash session over their spouse. It's always the little compromises that we make that our flesh enjoys, but our spirit begins to be grieved by. It's like there's something that doesn't feel good about it, but there's something that feels so good about it. And if you allow your flesh to lead in your marriage, then you're going to give in to those negative things that are going to come along because they are going to come along. No one has the perfect marriage. Pastor Derek doesn't have a perfect marriage. No one in this room has a perfect marriage. We all have our own challenges and things that we're working through and we want to grow in. But when we see those areas, we need to recognize them and not feed in to that negativity because we need connection. We need accountability. And that's going to require us to deepen trust. That's going to require us to be faithful. Our faithfulness to one another isn't contingent upon the areas where we get along, and, but it's even in appreciating our differences. Our faithfulness isn't contingent upon our spouse being who we want them to be because too many people get disconnected or withhold their love from their spouse until their spouse becomes the person that they think they should be, and then they will began to love them the way that they should have been loved and treated all along when they achieved the status that uh, the other spouse thought that they should be achieving. Man, it's not contingent upon that. But rather, we have a covenant friendship, a covenant partnership, that Ahab relationship, because we embrace one another's differences. We learn to appreciate them. We guard our hearts. We guard our attitude towards our spouse. We speak life into our spouse. When our spouse is present and we're faithful with our words and our attitudes even in their absence. So for us to remain forever friends with our spouse, it's going to go beyond simply movies and vacations. It's going to require that we have a healthy view of one another in our marriage. It's going to require us to start speaking life today and start recognizing the gifts that one another truly are. The gift of accountability, the gift of sanctification, the gift of fun, the gift of friendship, together. That's who God has called us to be. He has called us to be forever friends, and our marriages need to reflect exactly the way that Christ has loved us. He's loved us unconditionally, that there is a forgiveness that happens in marriage, that there is a patience that happens in marriage, that there is self-control that begins to be exhibited in our relationship with our spouse, that there's all the fruits of the Spirit that begin to flow out of our marriage when we begin to truly make our spouse and our marriage a priority and invest in that thing. And then as we invest in the marriage, then it begins to glorify God. And people begin to see and notice God at work between two people and how two very different people can walk and be forever friends. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.